Welcome to Required Reading. This episode we're talking about Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and unlike last time, it is not in two parts. We did it all in one somehow. And we, of course, unfortunately had to change around our schedule. This was going to come out originally in December, but it's coming out now instead. But it's the 20th anniversary of the release of the movie, and we thought it would be good to continue our series from The Hobbit to The Fellowship and now to Two Towers. And yes, that means next year we will be doing Return of the King. In the meantime, I appreciate all you do to share us and get us to your friends and such. And of course, if you um, do those things, please keep doing them, because it does help build attention for our show. In the meantime, thanks for all you do, and we appreciate you. Bye. Welcome to Required Reading. This week, we are dipping back into the Lord of the Ringiverse. Um, as we talk about the two towers, as we promised uh, to have Robert von Hagen back once a year to talk uh, the Ring Saga, I'm your host Nick Hoffman, and on panel we have uh, Robert von Hagen and Mike Carroll. Uh, Mike Burns, uh, well, he opted out. <laughs> He's not able to make it today, so it's going to be just the three of us as we talk about the middle part of the trilogy. Um, now, uh, I don't even know where to start. Uh, when last we spoke, uh, we had done a two-parter on the Fellowship. The Fellowship is falling apart, uh, Boromir is, is dead, Frodo and Sam have scurried off, and the, the rest of the Fellowship is trying to get the hobbits, Merry and Pippin, who have been kidnapped. By the orcs, By right? By the orcs. That's right. Um, so, do you want to take us through book three? Yeah, uh, Two Towers. Um, so I, I believe, if, if I'm correct, the start of the of the book is, uh, Bo has Boromir died yet? I think that right at the start yeah, of he, book so three. So he redeems himself yeah. by trying to save uh, Merry and Pippin. The orcs take uh, the the hobbits uh, and they take off, and so uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli have a decision to make about what their path is. So they try, do they try to find Frodo and Sam, or do they follow uh, uh, Merry and Pippin, who have been uh, taken by the orcs? And so, of course, they uh, Aragorn um, makes a fateful decision, and uh, they decide to uh, the best path is to follow and try to save Merry and Pippin. And so they they go on towards uh, Orthanc. Uh, they make their way and follow the orcs, and um, that's sort of where it, where it, it launches uh, into into book three. That's yeah. right. Um, and I guess as a teacher, this one is also easy to tell if the kids read or just watched the movie, because in the book, the book is divided up in half, and you have the treason of Isengard, uh, which is just the story of them of that, the battle, the Helm Deep, the hobbits and their struggles of getting to Mordor are completely separate. That's all in book four. Whoa, I'm getting feedback. All in book four, and it's not really, like, they don't interact. The two stories don't interact at this in this one. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's, uh, I know that at the end of the, at the end of our last podcast, we were talking about how they have the breaking of the fellowship, of course, that happens, and I was explaining that I think that that's really the moment that I fell in love with these books is the moment that the sounds kind of like pessimistic, but the moment that the fellowship breaks, you have all of these different stories that kind of end up branching out into the various corners of Middle Earth as you're following through this story. So you end up following uh, Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas on their venture. You end up following Merry and Pippin on their venture. Surprise, Gandalf comes back, and you get to hear a little bit of where it is that he has been over the course of uh, over the course of his crazy adventure. Um, and as a result, you get these three 
separate lenses with which you can now explore this tremendously vast world that Tolkien has created. And that's part of why I think I, it, it was in that moment where the fellowship breaks and the narration breaks as well. Um, and then as you're saying, Nick, you get yet another kind of uh, arc. You get another adventure that you're following with, uh, with Frodo and Sam that you don't get into until book four. Uh, but that moment where the fellowship breaks and it, it really kind of starts off that way at the start of the two towers, um, that's really the moment I think that I fell in love with the stories. Mm -hmm. And I will say too, you know, I'm spoiled for having read these before and seen the movies and even the Ralph Bakshi animated version. Um, you forget that at the end of fellowship, Boromir has not been redeemed, right? Like people in constant peril, just like in this one, uh, at the end of book four, we'll get there. But like, is everyone dead? Like you don't really know. It's 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 much more harrowing in this aspect, and um, it makes the story, like you said, it really broadens the world because we're suddenly looking for help. For, you know, when you get to the battle at the end of book three, uh, like there are trees fighting. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> like there's just so many different species and things that are happening. And and to me, this is where it really becomes fantasy. Like. Are the orcs supposed to be a metaphor for something or not? Same with the dwarves. Like, they're they're very humanoid. But here we're starting to get, like, real monsters and, like, fighting trees and Tree a giant spider. Right. Yeah, yeah, like, that's right. yeah. It, it feels very different. This is a world that we have not seen, and it shows in, this, in these books. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking back again to our last podcast when we were last talking about this story, we started off talking about how it felt like it was a story in the Fellowship, at least for the first couple of chapters, that almost feels like it has a foot in trend in the world of the Hobbit and a foot entrenched in the world of this kind of like new uh, world of the Lord of the Rings. And that's when you get all of Tom Bombadil and you get these, the, the kind of like almost in some ways uh, kind of like cute adventure of the Hobbits as they're leaving Hobbiton and as they're, they're making their way uh, across Middle Earth. It doesn't start off with the intensity and with the the sense of danger that you get later on in the stories, you haven't had the death toll that has come. Boromir, of course, has not died yet. And you, I think as a result, you, it still feels like you're reading as The Hobbit was intended, a children's story at the start of The Lord of the Rings. Now the world of Tom Bombadil is gone. Now the world of the Shire is gone. And we're very much entrenched in this I think it's safe to say far more dangerous and almost kind of like a like a big boy story as we're now following um, this this story this quest between good and evil throughout Middle Earth. Mm -hmm. Was well, and, and absolutely that's the the trajectory of the of the books. Like Tolkien was writing the sequel to The Hobbit and it started off as a story about the Hobbit in the Shire, right? And then I think the evolution of the book as he was writing it, it 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 slowly became the, 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 the world of the elves that he had created, you know, decades before he, he started incorporating them into this, uh, into this world and, and it, ex it just exploded. And so that's like, you're picking up on that absolutely yeah. as you're yeah. reading, because it, it was an evolution for Tolkien to expand it and to, to build it in and bridge it in with, with the, the, you know, the, the world he had created for the elves. Yeah. Well, and we're also playing around with morality a bit because we have in the original, you know, we have that incredible scene where everyone's sitting around the round table. No one wants to speak up. The hobbits speak up and they decide that they will fight because it is what is what what we should do. It's right. I will I will carry the ring. And then slowly and sometimes reluctantly, people decide to join the fellowship. 
But even though they're doing it for their re own reasons, they genuinely decide to help this fellowship. Fine. Now we're coming across other species, other people, the writers of Rohan, for example. Mm -hmm, right. And there's a question whether or not this is their war to fight, the Ents, whether or not it's their war to fight, should we help? And people are being called to action, and whether or not they fight is kind of an interesting change, especially since the Council of Elrond doesn't seem matter of fact. There is debate, but at the end, you know that they're being called to adventure, they're going to go on an adventure. Here, it's not as clear until the battle actually comes to them, which is interesting. Right. Well, uh, one of the things that, that I uh, love about this is the, the character of Aragorn. Um, and so, you know, again, obviously, ultimately, uh, you know, he, he becomes the king, right? I mean, spoiler. Um, <laughs> but um, he, uh, his, his decision-making and his, um, um, his uncertainty and reluctance, and so he, he, he was thrust in the leadership role when Gandalf fell. And, and, and so you see a lot of, you see indecisiveness and, and questioning, but then at some point he, he makes a decision and then he goes with it and then just rides it through. And, and, and again, but you, I, I like how the, the arc of his character, like he really, you, you don't know what's going to happen and he right. just has to make some decisions about support. He's got different paths that he can choose and he's trying to make the best with what, with what he knows at the time. Yeah. No, and, it, and again, it's interesting because from at the beginning of book one, you assume that the protagonists are going to be Frodo, maybe, and, uh, and Gandalf, because they're the interesting hero. But by this point, Gandalf is gone, Frodo has left, and Sam and Aragorn are becoming the heroes, right? Because again, when he's the, the, the ranger and he's got this kind of mystery to him, Strider, like, it's kind of cool, but he's not a hero, he's a rogue. And now he's being called to lead, and you can see his character changing. That's what makes him a protagonist. Yeah. His character changes, and it's interesting. It's really cool how he does it in the story. Um, how how quick, close do you want to go through the plot? Just because, again, I assume by this point, between the movies and the TV shows and the books, people know it, so we can kind of skip to the things you want to talk about. I was going to say, yeah, I can, I've can. i got the, kind of like the plot written down here, so we can kind of Great. just go up through maybe like when Emer and the writers of... Rohan come to kind of the rescue, so to speak, of uh, of the hobbits, and then we have kind of the the venture to uh, to the riders of Rohan and to, mm -hmm. to Theoden. Maybe that's that, Please, take that, it. that as far as far as I'm concerned, it's kind of like the first third of this uh, of this kind of next part. So please. Um, so the the orcs, as as we were saying before, attack the fellowship. Um, I have these names written down, and I'm probably going to butcher them. So if there's any like <laughs> true hardcore Tolkien fans out there, I apologize for. Uh, for the pronunciation here, but uh, Urukai and uh, Grishnika, uh, I, that's that's how it is that I phonetically had it written down. Um, but those are the the kind of the leaders of the orcs that are uh, that are attacking the the hobbits. It's at this time that Boromir tries to save Merry and Pippin. Uh, and ends up and ends up being killed. Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas, as we were talking about, have a uh, have a decision to make whether they're going to try and follow Frodo and the Ring or to try and track the Hobbits of Merry and Pippin. Uh, and they decide to try and track the Hobbits of Merry and Pippin. Uh, and it's at this time that uh, it. I don't. I don't remember in the either when I was watching the movie because I I did see the first two movies prior to reading the books. Uh, but I don't remember in watching the movies. Uh, or before my reviewing of uh, of the text before this podcast, 
the just how scary that moment is for Merry and Pippin when they're being when they're being dragged off by these orcs. It's terrifying, yeah. uh, and it does need almost uh, in some ways kind of a Deus ex machina moment of this this salvation that seems to kind of like come out of nowhere. And that is Emer and the Riders of Rohan who come and kill the orcs, and Merry and Pippin end up escaping to the Fangorn Forest, which is where they uh, which is where they encounter Treebeard unexpectedly. Okay. Um, but the it is the introduction of not it's not the introduction of mankind it's not the introduction of man because we do have Aragorn and we do have human and man characters that have uh, that have made their way into the story but the writers of Rohan which uh, certainly draw the closest ties to Tolkien's work with Old English and with Beowulf and with the Anglo-Saxons uh, so it shouldn't surprise anybody listening that that's that that's where uh, my uh, my intrigue if nothing else is peaked uh, but that's the, that's kind of the introduction of the writers of Rohan and then uh, when once Gandalf does come uh, and does return the decision is made to go to uh, to go to Enderus, which is where the which is where the hall is of the Riders of Rohan, to try and uh, convince the King Theoden to uh, to come to their aid. So that's kind of the that's the first part of the story. And, and the big uh, battle is with Saruman, who's the wizard who has turned bad, and uh, sort of Gandalf is the foil uh, to him, or the you know they're, they're uh, both wizards, and one's mm-hmm. turned one is good, one is turned bad. And so the battle is to to sort of Saruman has raised a, a army of orcs, um, and um, you know he was supposed to be a good guy, but but um, now uh, Theoden, who's been under the spell of of one of Saruman's um, um, lieutenants, um, and Gandalf, and uh, is there to try to break Theoden of that spell. He does that, mm-hmm. and then Theoden sort of wakes up and and um, you know realizes what's going on and decides to fight and to bring the fight to uh, ultimately to Saruman. Right. Um, and then you have at the same time uh, Treebeard, uh, one of the Ents, who's sort of analogous of a, of a troll um, uh, and uh, like kind of good guy trolls or whatever, you know. Um, and uh, the, the Ents get all fired up um, and are upset with what Saruman has been doing and what the orcs have been doing to the forest. And so they decide to also attack um, Saruman. And so it's this really kind of like, all, you know, Saruman was going to attack uh, the uh, Rohan uh, but it ends up he's the one who's, who's attacked, and they right. end up making their way to um, to um, or Orthanc, which is where Saruman is, uh, the tower where or, uh, Saruman is. Right, and and here we also kind of get the factions a little bit clearer too, because uh, you mentioned the Orakai, who are I believe led by Saruman, mm-hmm. and you have uh, Sauron who sends Grishnak, but. Yep. They're bickering between themselves. Like Which right, direction to go, right? Right, yeah, yeah. And, and what to be done with the hobbits, right. even. Because all they know is that Saruman has told them to bring two hobbits. It turns mm-hmm. out they grabbed the wrong two, but they want to eat them. Like There's this kind of barbarism going on. But it's also, they're bickering among themselves who's in charge. And this is the first time we get... I mean, it's called the Two Towers. They really don't nail down the towers. But you have uh, Isengard versus the Tower of, of Sauron with the giant eye on top. It's, it's depicted on the cover of every book I've ever had of this. Right. Um, but those are the two towers we're talking about. And like you say, we eventually end up at Isengard. But we get that there's kind of end fighting. And um, Saruman thinks he's in charge, but Sauron definitely has control over him and back and forth. And we have this idea of this like evil influence spreading through people, which is best illustrated by Wormtongue, right. which we'll get to. Yeah. And by the by, I believe 
the name of the leader of Rohan is Eomir, Eomir which, yeah. which I think comes from Beowulf directly. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's yeah. there's oh, quite a few. I know that. Yeah, there's so that there are a couple of a couple of overlaps uh, that wet where Eomir is the descendant of Emund, who is uh, one of the one of the Swedish princes that is very briefly mentioned, uh, and only a little bit more frequently mentioned is Efer, who is the who is like the grandfather of Emir. Uh, and Efer is is also one of the very uh, infrequently mentioned characters in Beowulf. He's actually the kind of one of the heroes um, of the Battle of Ravenswood, which leads to which is one of the, the battles that leads to um, that leads to Beowulf becoming king. But actually, uh, if, you, if you guys don't mind, I, I have a, yeah. a couple of quotes here that uh, that actually do quite that they overlap a little bit with this particular one overlaps quite a bit with some old English and some uh, and some of where I think Tolkien is drawing some of his uh, some of his obviously Tolkien being the the incredible old English scholar that he was um, there's quite a bit that's coming from the Anglo-Saxon time period and there's there's quite a bit that's coming just right from the the meter of the poem of Beowulf as well so um, I'll, I'll read through this it, it starts with to lay at your feet my lord said Emer for a moment of silence Thaden stood looking down at Emer as he knelt still before him neither moved will you not take the sword said Gandalf slowly Thaden stretched forth his hand as his fingers took the hilt, it seemed to the watchers that firmness and strength returned to his thin arm. Suddenly he lifted the blade and swung it shimmering and whistling in the air. Then he gave a great cry. His voice rang clear as he chanted in the tongue of Rohan a call to arms. Arise now, arise, riders of Thaden. Dire deeds awake, dark is its eastward. Let horse be bridled, horn be sounded, forth Aer Lingus. The guards, thinking that, thinking that they were summoned, sprang up the stair. They looked at their lord in amazement. And then, as one man, they drew their sword and laid them at his feet. Command us, they said. West do Theoden Hall, cried Emer. And that line, actually, the, the West do means, uh, the West do Theoden Hall, is that, that's just a line right from Beowulf. It, it means, be well, Theoden. Uh, and it's just, it's just written in Old English. That call to arms of the Riders of Rohan, if you look at the way that it's structured, it's in an A and a B verse, just like Beowulf <laughs> is. So you get the, the uh, alliterative uh, mm -hmm. structure with the two... Um, the two alliterations in the A verse and then the one in the B verse with the arise, arise of Thaden, and then dire deeds awake, dark is it eastward, and then let horse be bridled, horn be sounded, you get that B sound. So it actually mirrors perfectly the, the structure of the, the verse of Beowulf. And then just right at the very beginning of that quote that I was reading, it's talking about the laying down of a sword, which is a call to arms, it's a call to action. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's something that takes place throughout Beowulf as well. So there's a lot going on with the old English, and uh, and I, I see it a lot in uh, in the the writers of Rohan. I mm -hmm. think not only because of the fact that this is the the world or the, the part of the world that Tolkien has created to most 
strongly resemble the halls of the Anglo-Saxons, but even, even uh, in their attempt to talk to King Theoden, they need to first be talking to the kind of like his guards leading up to it. And then you get Worm, uh, you get Wormtongue, who is so similar to Unferth, the naysayer in, uh, in Hrothgar's hall. So it's, it's just so much in alignment with mm -hmm. Beowulf. And in these quotes and in these moments, it's where I see it the most. So um, I'm, I'm super intrigued and, and, and mm. interested in those moments. Yeah, very cool. And and th this is also where we get like the court intrigue, which we hadn't really gotten before. Because, um, I mean, we'll get to the elves in a, again in a bit, but they're very standoffish at first. And so, like, the court intrigue is something of the minds of men, and, and it's, 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 it's well played throughout most of this. Uh, yeah. So we get this. Um, we should talk about the Ents and the Woods and everything, because that's where we're reintroduced to everyone, and it kind of all comes together. So uh, they come across the scene of all the dead orcs, and they're and the writers of Rohan, and they're convinced that their friends may have died. In fact, the writers say that they Aragorn, burned everything. Legos and yeah. Gimli, right? right yeah, on. and the uh, writers say they burned everything, in fact. Um, but Aragorn's not convinced that they're dead. And they kind of wander into the woods, and at this point, kind of everything comes together. Uh, we're taken to Merry and Pippin, who are alive, and they're talking to the Ents, and the Ents are trying to decide what to happen. So, so yeah, the Mary, I, well, if I remember correctly, Mary and Pippin go with Treebeard, uh, and Treebeard decides that enough has happened. He um, he calls uh, an Entmoot, uh, which is a gathering of all the Ents, and so the Ents have not gathered in a long, long time. Right. Um, and they, uh, so Mary and Pippin are with him, uh, and while while the Entmoot is going on, and they're trying to decide how they're going to respond to what's been going on, um, and then. So that's going on, but then doesn't the character of, of the, the white Gandalf appears to Gimli, Legolas, and, um, and um, Aragorn. And yeah, Aragorn, and, right? But they yeah. think it's Saruman. Because yeah, he's, he's at first, first. In, until Gandalf kind of tells his side of the story, which is that as he was plummeting down uh, in the fight with the Balrog, that he did, he did kill the Balrog, but also died as well Robert I was actually wondering yes. if you could if you could kind of give us a little bit of an explanation as to what it is that ends up happening with with yeah with Gandalf so he yeah so he, my my understanding of it is that he's an Astari right mm -hmm. so he was a uh, he's sort of an, an angelic being um, and so uh, as Gandalf uh, the wizards are, are incarnate and they come to Middle Earth Really, their goal—the the wizards that are, are that are brought to Middle Earth—their goal is to fight Sauron mm -hmm. and to defeat Sauron. And so that's their mission in Middle Earth. So Gandalf is one. Saruman is one as well. And so um, Gandalf fights the Balrog at the you know the Bridge of Casa Doom. They both uh, crash down. They battle with each other, and and Gandalf uh, vanquishes the Balrog, but he himself also is dies uh, in that. And then he though is is re reincarnated uh, as he had been the gray wizard when he was there, uh, but then he comes back and sort of uh, becomes the white wizard, which Saruman had been the leader of the of the order, uh, the white council, but he had been the, the lead wizard. And so Gandalf sort of assumes that mm -hmm. um, and, and is um, kind of, it's like he's finding himself, he, he's been sort of brought back um, and, 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 and again, he's, he's going to carry on his mission to, mm -hmm. to fight Sauron. Mm -hmm. But that, that's my understanding of it. Yeah, yeah. that's how I got it too. And then, we're told there are five wizards. Uh, we're introduced to one other in The Hobbit, right? Radagast. Uh, Radagast yes, the Brown. Right. Yep. And then I think there's two blue ones that were never introduced. They're mentioned, yes. right? But we, yeah. we don't ever see them. And so it's really these two that are fighting it out. Right. Um, 
Yes, and Saruman's, uh, uh, his main job or, or specialty was with the, the Rings of Power, right? right? And Gandalf's is, um, you know, I, I guess with, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on what his sort of, he, he uh, you know, uh, uh, Radagast is more with birds, beasts, uh, natures, yeah. and whatnot, yeah, and um, so anyway, yeah. Well, and I think, I think Gandalf said his is with the species of the earth, which is why he knows everyone. The people of the earth, right, 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 right. right. Um, and to kindle hope in, in everyone, right, which is what the... His, yeah, his ring, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, anyway, and, and so like the scene where they realize that all this is coming together is fantastic. And the first thing Gandalf remembers is that Merry and Pippin are rubbish because he's immediately rude <laughs> to them, right? It's if we let Pippin tell the story, it would take all day. So let's hurry this up. Well, wait. So, so the they. The, so that we're, we're not even talking about the Battle of Helm's Deep, which is uh, the, the Rohan and the yeah. Orcs, uh, huge battle. Uh, the uh, you know Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas are there, and and uh, um, they they are victorious. The the good side is victorious, uh, and then they go and regroup at, um, at with uh, Theoden's halls, right? And so they're coming. Is that that's correct, right? Yeah. Uh, and then um, they are going basically to attack Saruman at at Isengard. Right. Um, and along the way, they they see that things have changed at Isengard, and, and mm-hmm. uh, the the ants have been so worked up uh, that they they make yes. a decision to attack uh, um, Saruman at uh, Isengard, and so they uh, they they uh, um, Theoden and Gandalf think they're going to go to, into battle, and yeah. they're actually going to 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 see uh, you know uh, Orthanc is is uh, or uh, Isengard is in shambles. Um, and the and the um, the ants have possession and, and control of um, of Isengard and and uh, Saruman is stuck in the tower with Wormtongue um, yep. and then that's where Gandalf and them and that's when they meet uh, Merry and Pippin are there to greet them as <laughs> yep. they as they arrive basically at Orthanc smoking um, their pipes yeah, and, yeah. right right <laughs> yeah and we're also given some p- intrigue there too because somehow they have Hobbit pipe weed mm. uh, which from, from the Shire yes. from the Shire yeah that's right um, which is like, well, how does he know where the Shire is? Because pretty much at this point, everyone's terrified by these halflings. They're like, what, the, what is that thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the fact that Saruman has it tells us something that we're, we're, we're kind of going to peek behind the veil on mm-hmm. uh, as, as the story unfolds a little bit. Um, but I love the Ents, the introduction of the Ents. It's mm-hmm. such an interesting idea. And trees move slow as they say, <laughs> but they're horrified by what has happened. But they even talk about the corruption of Saruman. He used to walk along us when we were saplings or whatever. And mm-hmm. this idea that the woods grew up and he something changed him. He's corrupted by this power mm-hmm. is, is well said. Um, I hate to, like, is there anything you want to bring up about Helm's Deep? It's fantastic. But unfortunately with battles, it's pages and pages and we're just talking about people dying. What I what I like about the, the Helm's Deep and a lot of the, just the physical structures is the, the, the towers and the fortresses and Helm's Deep is that it's almost kind of like a glimpse into a world of the past. And there's a lot of the Silmarillion that's kind of seeping its way through in these fortresses. And you get the backstory in some ways, uh, or rather, it's, it's it's more of kind of like an emblem of a lingering backstory that that there's been worlds and stories that have taken place in this in this Middle Earth that are that you're getting kind of like the remnants of, and you're getting new stories that are told in old fortresses of the past, and that's part of the reason why I like Helm's Deep so much. And 
Um, I, I, I've got a quick, uh, a quick passage. It's actually after mm-hmm. the battle of, um, it's actually, it, it's after the battle of Helm's Deep. It's when, um, it's when Gimli is talking with Legolas afterwards. And I love the dwarfs. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm partial to the dwarves. I love the stories of the dwarfs and the mines and the, um, I think that it's, it's just such a, um, such a, a human character of the ambition that they talk about with the dwarves and, uh, and the, the digging deeper and the, the, the I, I just love the stories of the dwarves. So um, Gimli might be my favorite character. I know, Robert, when you were last on, you were talking about how Sam is a character that, that, that you're so fond of. I'm really fond of Gimli. Um, and the friendship between Gimli and Legolas yeah. uh, really kind of like flourishes during, during uh, the Two Towers. And this is a passage that... Uh, that that particularly kind of touches upon that friendship. Um, I'll just start kind of in the middle of this. It says, And the lights, Legolas, we should make lights, such lamps as once shone in Khazad-dûm. And when we wished, we would drive away the night that has lain there since the hills were made. And when we desired rest, we would let the night return. You move me, Gimli, said Legolas. I've never heard you speak like this before. Almost you make me regret that I have not seen these caves. Come, let us make this bargain. If we both return safe out of the perils that await us, we will journey for a while together. You shall visit Fangorn with me, and then I will come with you to Helm's Deep. That would not be the way of return that I would choose, said Gimli, but I will endure Fangorn if I have your promise to come back to the caves and share their wonder with me. Yeah. And I, I just love the, the, the friendship that, that exists between Legolas and dwarves, this unlikely friendship between these species. It, they have a long history of enmity between the yes. two. Yes. Yeah. And so this is a... The, it's, it's, a it's a pretty big moment yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To, uh, to, to have this this kind of... Uh, this merging, if you will, of this of this friendship between the dwarves and the elves, and uh, the, just the language that's being described there of this uh, mm-hmm. of this budding friendship and the and and how it's so reliant on the land and it's so reliant on these civilizations and these fortresses and these mines of the past. And I just love how these uh, how these friendships are kind of born out of those mm. out of those pre-existing emblematic. Uh, civilizations that we're getting little little tidbits here and there that mm-hmm. Tolkien is dropping us mm-hmm. from the Silmarillion. So I just think it's so beautifully written. I will also add that this is a good place to check if your students are actually reading or not, because in the movie the elves show up, but not in the book, right? Um, and so we have. I mean, again, not not that it matters, but when the elves show up in the movie, it's just another point of pride. Uh, for you know, I mean, we we just have everyone together, and here man is by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. And to your point about the friendship, though, this is also where they start counting the kills. Yes, which is yes. right. Which is it's it's light. It's a moment of light motif in a very mm-hmm. brutal scene where for a long time it doesn't. They don't think they're going to make it, especially when we have the introduction of gunpowder mm-hmm. and the bomb blows up the gates, mm-hmm. uh, which is intense. Right, and 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 also the I mean the ants have a part in, in saving Helm's Deep as well. If you remember, like they go to it's it, it's dark, uh, every, all is lost. It, it just seems like they're in despair, and then um, the the you know they wake up and and the trees. Uh, uh, all of a sudden, a forest has appeared where there was no forest, and they have had, like the the rear guard of, of the orcs that have been attacking Helm's Deep suddenly is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Catherine, Catherine would would have my head if I didn't mention the the allusion that's made there to Macbeth, Macbeth. where you have the the moving of the trees. So, Catherine, shout out to you. <laughs> yes, the forest has come. Yeah, yes. Um, but yeah, like we get these these not 
the rules of combat have changed here too, and that that's what's significant to me. Like the we not only have the Urukai attacking, and but there's old weapons like the battering ram, and then all of a sudden the bomb explodes, yeah. and you just realize they don't have a handle on this. And yeah. like you said, then the next then the dawn breaks, and it realizes that Helm's Deep is still mm. fantastic, mm. fantastic. Um, where do we go from here? So it, we're, we're kind of like on that cusp, ready to go into book four. But before we do, I wanted to mention the moment when uh, when uh, Saruman and Wormtongue are up in the tower and Wormtongue throws the Palantir down in like, it's such a strange moment in the text that, that this incredibly so, so valuable... They're, they're confronted by Gandalf yes. and Theoden and their army and, and uh, Gandalf is talking to Saruman and trying to say, hey, come on out, uh, you know, you've lost, and, and you know, we're going to give you a second chance. And so then they're in the tower, right? Yeah. yeah. And, the, and I, I can't remember, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but in the book, the way that it's described is, and, well, it's, it, it's not really made super clear, and, and I was wondering what you guys thought about that moment, too, when the Palantir comes, like, careening down from the tower, was that in 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 your eyes? Was that an intentional move to try and get one of the hobbits or Gandalf to look into the Palantir? Or no, no. Do, do we think, think that this was just Wormtongue, Wormtongue just being kind of a doofus in throwing it so, down? So Saruman's talking to Theoden and Gandalf, and so Wormtongue is up wherever in the tower, and he picks up this object, and I think he wants to just hurt somebody. Yeah. And it and it it's tragic that he that's the object that he chose to right. throw, right? Right. And it seems like at, at first Saruman would be so upset about the fact that this incredibly valuable object has gone tumbling down out of the tower, but really that's the object that Pippin, looking into it, ends up really, uh, it, it's kind of the catalyst for a lot of the movement going forward. It allows for Sauron to to see a little bit more in, into a glimpse of what it is that's going on on the the Fellowship side of things. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a perilous moment, actually. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think Saruman at any point was happy that the, that the Palantir was, was, was taken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I and and you know again it's tragic that that uh, Pippin uh, looked into the into it um, and um, you know Sauron could have figured out the whole uh, gambit if he had if he had sort of pressed Pippin but he he thought he uh, Pippin was a, a prisoner of of Saruman mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so he was going to play with them. Um, and, and then again, yeah, it sets in motion like uh, a like lot that goes on. Everything gets yes, escalated yeah. so right. much more. And it's so important really... for Aragorn and, and yeah. all that. Yeah, later later in the book for sure. Yeah, yeah and yeah. so and so I think it's uh, it's at that moment where Gandalf, realizing just how treacherous the situation has now become, takes Pippin on the back of Shadowfax and they hightail it to Gondor. Uh, and that's that's not I mean, not true. a scene that we'll see until until right. uh, the Return of the King. Right. And that's the that's the movement that's taking place. And again, it's another, I think there are seven crystal balls. Seven, right? Seven. Right. Yeah. Another, another, like, there's a thing with a, seven of them, and this is seven the, balls, seven towers, or seven, uh, uh, whatever. Seven yeah. rings of men. No, there are nine rings no. of men. Yes, the seven I'll, dwarves. I'll bring it to the next, <laughs> no next time we get together. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah. Um, seven stones. Seven, seven stones. stones. Yes, That's yeah. right. We, we need some sacred geometries yes, here. It's yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah. Does Saruman get away? Do we see him again? So. They so he's left prisoner uh, right. at, at Orthanc in the tower, and um, he um, Treebeard and the Ents are keeping watch over him as a prisoner. Right, and so um, so he does 
at some point escape. Um, but but uh, the intention is that Gandalf leaves the ends to, to keep him prisoner in Orthanc. Quick quick aside, I, I visited colleges um, this summer in England, um, which was amazing. And I was at University of Birmingham um, to visit there, and the, they have a huge uh, clock tower, uh, bell tower, uh, in the middle of campus. And it, it is like it's. I think it's the largest uh, uh, bell tower in 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 Europe. And it was the. Um, it's said that that uh, um, Tolkien used that as the uh, uh, the model for Orthanc. Yeah, that's so it's awesome. pretty that's amazing. Cool. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, well, they write off into the next book. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and, and book four is Sam and Frodo. The, their story goes on from yep. Yeah. From where we, we left Boromir. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, do you want to take us through it? It, it? In some ways, it's a short story, shorter story, but like it's a lot more of interpersonal stuff. It's. Um, do you have your outline? Yeah. Yeah. I, we, yeah. We, we can we can kind of step into it now. So book four is uh, the Ring goes east and. Um, Gollum or Smeagol, who's been following them since uh, since Gandalf took his plummet um, at the bridge at Kazakh Doom, uh, the, Gollum has been following them through them being Sam and Frodo. We're we're now kind of like uh, quick shot over to uh, over to Sam and Frodo, who are making their way through the Dead Marshes, uh, and they're mi- trying to make their way to uh, to destroy the Ring. Uh, and they make their way to the Black Gate, which is uh, too heavily guarded um, for them to be able to pass through. And they make the executive decision yep. that this is not going to be not going to be successful to be able to. So, bring so an important uh, detail is that uh, Gollum has been following them, and at some point they they capture Gollum, and then Gollum uh, uh, swears loyalty to the Ring and to yep. Frodo, and he becomes their guide to the Black Gate and to try um, to get him to, to Mortar. That's all he knows is that they're supposed to get to, to Mount Doom. Right. right. And I do think that in that moment when he's swearing his his loyalty to Frodo and uh, and the ring, that he means well by it. But then we get such a torn character. I mean, obviously, yeah. we have both Gollum and uh, and Smeagol, who yeah. are who are kind of like at war with one another. Yeah. Uh, but we 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 get the 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 kind of our new guide who's bringing us through, who's bringing us through uh, to to uh, through Mordor. Um, and so the Black Gate is too heavily guarded. Uh, but Gollum knows of a pass that they're gonna that they're gonna go through. And I think it's at Curious, that. Curious th- um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and so it's uh, it's at this point that um, along Just, the path we get the 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 pool of I have it written down here the pool the pool of Henneth Anan, mm-hmm. uh, which is the kind of like the the um, like the fountain of youth almost. It's like this this. Uh, this magical pool around which Faramir and the 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 men are kind of like have have a camp set up. And Robert, you might be able to you might be able to provide a little bit more uh, insight here. But there's a, there's kind of a it's, a, it's an Athelion, yeah, uh, and it's a beautiful yeah. And there's a there's a pool that they they've got sort of a secret hiding. So they're in the territory that's been taken over by Sauron and and the the orcs. But Athelion is sort of this oasis that's still within that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so there's an army Faramir who's Boromir's brother, who's from Gondor, um, is uh, has an army that's doing like kind of spot attacks against uh, against uh, Sauron's army, um, and so they they're in this uh, special hidden place. Um, but yeah, there's there's a pool there, and and so um, yeah yeah. Uh, uh, no, I just I want to get we skipped something which I thought was fascinating, which is the Death Marshes. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the the whole back and forth is Sam doesn't trust uh, Gollum. Yeah. Um, and Frodo does, and maybe it's the fact that the ring has had a hold on him now too, mm-hmm. and so he feels sympathy for this creature. We should also say that uh, he doesn't kill Smeagol earlier on, mm-hmm. but. They also don't kill Wormtongue. And we have this idea mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. maybe Aragorn's also growing as a character as well as he stays the hand of Theoden. Mm-hmm. But here we have these things where they're kind of walking through the marshes to the Black Gate and there are these corpses in the water. Um, they're seeing corpses in the water, right? Or it, eyes and this people. This is a yeah, terrifying right. scene. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, this in the movie directed by a, a guy who did a lot of horror. And this is the, they, the book like, really comes alive there. Because in the book, it's terrifying. Like, they're being called to this stream, and it's corpses looking back up. Right. Um, and if you stare too long, you'll get, you might get sucked in yourself, right? Which happens yeah. to Frodo, right? Yeah. It happens to Frodo. But this is also where we hear, have Sam overhearing Gollum debating with himself at, afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because does he want, like, it, nowadays we'd clunkily call it being bipolar or something, mm-hmm. but these multiple personalities are fighting out, and you get the feeling that Smeagol is trying to do good, but Gollum is right there, yeah. and it's incredible. Uh, right. It really is. So, and, and, and the, the Dead Marshes, though, is, uh, again, bringing in the world of the elves in the previous uh, eras. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a huge, huge battle that took place uh, in in this area, and so that's the aftermath of it. Is this the the dead marshes, or, mm-hmm. or the are the the people who were killed um, during uh, during that that battle? So it, again, still bringing in the the old and and um, the, you know the old times. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we you mentioned Faramir. This is another race of men of Gondor, yep. mm-hmm. um, and uh, we are starting to get a little bit about Faramir. Like they had heard. Boromir was dead, but they didn't really understand, or they knew he was with the hobbits. Like, and this is where the other part of the story comes out. Yeah. Um, and Faramir sees the ring, but does not take it. Y- right? Yes. Yeah. So Faramir is trying to, he's captured uh, Sam and um, Frodo. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're there in Athelion, and he, um, and so Gollum sneaks, sneaks away. And they bring him to their fortress that we were talking about in Athelion. Um, and so um, that's where Faramir try to he uh, sort of interrogates uh, Frodo and Sam and, you know, tries to get them to say. And he, and he knows that Frodo and Sam were with Boromir and, and, and Faramir has some information that the horn Formir, uh, uh, Boromir had uh, blew the horn. Um, and that he, I think he knows that he has died. That the the horn was found in right. in, um, in Gondor, made its way to Gondor, and was cut and cleaved in half. Right. And so he wants information from Frodo and from Sam, like, hey, what what happened to Boromir? And so um, the the um, Frodo tries to keep hidden the Aaron with the ring, um, and and so through the interrogation though. Um, uh, it, it 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 slipped. I think Sam is the one who slips, mm-hmm. right. and that. Uh, that they have the ring of power and, and Faramir is very smart. He puts it together that, that the ring of power um, is is with Frodo and is in his possession. So so Boromir, his brother, tried to take the ring in the moment um, at the end of the first book, right? And here we have um, at, oh. the, at this moment, the brother has within his power to take the ring from Frodo uh, and from Sam. And so there's like this moment in the book, which I love the, love oh. the moment, and and Faramir though uh, ultimately says, you know, I'm, you know, poor Boromir, 
um, you know, he the, the test was too great. And, and Faramir passes the test, though, and he said, I, you know, I would allow you to, you will keep the ring. I promised you that I wouldn't take yeah, it. Yeah, almost, almost kind of reminiscent of Galadriel too. Yes, who, who also uh, Who also does not, who also does not take the ring, right? Um, I actually, I've, I've got a passage here that, yeah. that, that, that I can read through from from Faramir, who's who's a, similarly to Gimli. I love the character of Faramir, um, and I think that there's, I, I got goosebumps when you were describing my favorite, the favorite characters, yeah, the, for sure. The, the, kind of that dichotomy and that juxtaposition between between Boromir and Faramir. Uh, but this is the this is one of the this this is in the midst of that conversation. It's it's kind of that that interrogation, and they're they're talking about what it is that that, that is to be done. And it says, "For myself," said Faramir, "I would see the white tree and flower again, and the courts of the kings and the silver crown return, and Minas Tirith in peace, Minas Aenor again as of old, full of light, high and fair, beautiful as a queen among other queens, not a mistress of many slaves, nay, not even a kind mistress of willing slaves." War must be, while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all. But I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend, the city of the men of Numenor. And I would have her love for her memory, her ancestry, her beauty, and her present wisdom. And those lines where it's talking about, it, it, it's just so representative, I think, of Faramir to to not love the sharpness of the sword. He doesn't like fighting for the sake of fighting. He's 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 loves the the city values he what, loves what the, it preserves. Exactly. Yeah. He loves he loves the sword not for its sharpness for, but for what it is that it's able to protect. And I I love that outlook and and as a result Robert as you were saying I think that Faramir is one of my one of my favorite characters in the in the entire saga. Well, and we haven't gotten there yet, but he has a lot of the characteristics of all the characters, right? Because he's also been exiled like Aragon has, right? Mm -hmm. He also has this intense, like, which makes him a man without a country, which kind of all of them are except for the hobbits, right? Like, it's this kind of interesting, he, he comes in the middle of this book to remind us where everyone is coming from, which is, is such an interesting character development. Um, especially since, like I said, he's been kicked out of <laughs> where he is home. Uh, but we'll we'll get there in the next book. Um, we kind of end this section with Shelob. Oh, Shelob. Well, so Faramir sets them off, Sam and Frodo. So they they uh, Gollum is in the pool, and mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Faramir wakes up Sam and Frodo and says, "Your friend is here yeah. in the pool, and we have orders to kill anybody that's in the pool." And so. Right. Uh, Frodo uh, begs Faramir to save Gollum, and and, and and Gollum becomes their prisoner. Right, and then uh, they um, they allow the three of them to go, and so Faramir uh, instructs or guides Frodo to say, Frodo tells them this is where we're headed, um, and and so it's the secret path that Gollum has told them about that they're going to try to get into to Mordor, um, and Faramir says, you know, my heart tells me that that's not the right path, and and there's foreboding, there's there's evil in that mm -hmm. in that in that route. Um, but, um, you know, Frodo doesn't know what to do, you know, and, and so Gollum, they, they, um, he lets them go, uh, and they make their way to Kira's Thungle, uh, which is the spider's pass. Right. Um, and, and then they go up, there's a set of stairs, um, and, and it's a, it's an adventure that they go through and Gollum is with them, uh, urging them on higher and higher and higher into the pass. And it is, it is a, it's a way into Mordor that's probably the least watched, uh, spots. spots. Yeah, yeah. So, because there's a huge 
spider that's in this past that that um, you know that that basically uh, dominates, terrifies this this uh, this whole uh, area, um, and that's the path. So Gollum knows the spider from when he was ca- captured yeah, there yeah. a long time ago, um, and so Gollum uh, Gollum's secret plan is to um, to to get the hobbits to go, um, have them be attacked by Shelob, yeah. the spider, and then she'll hang them up and eat them. And but the then the ring will be there, and she yeah. won't care about the ring. And so Gollum's secret plan is to get. Uh, that's how he's going to get the ring. And so he betrays them. Um, he he leads them all the way up uh, to this basically the entrance of the cave. That's the pass through uh, to the other side of the Mordor, and then he abandons them. And and they, Sam and Frodo, make their way into the darkness um, into she, Shelob's lair. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. it's it's another one of those moments that is terrifying. Yeah. in the book. Well, and yes. we, we we also get a parallel here because at the end of book one. Frodo's also injured, but there's a way out, a rescue. And here Sam realizes how alone they truly are, mm. right? And which is, which is, I mean, Frodo just keeps getting wounded. But it is just an interesting construction because before the poison is seeping into him. And so they rise up right off to the elves. S- Sam can't do that here, right? He, he's literally watching his friend die. Mm-hmm. And, and thinks that he so, does die. So they're yeah. attacked by the spider. Yeah. Uh, and um, they... Um, they they think they they fight the spider and then they, they think they make it their way through, uh, but then Shelob gets uh, attacks them at the end, um, and and uh, we think Frodo has been killed. Yeah. Uh, Sam um, uh, Sam takes the ring right. Right. He goes off, but then he's like, no, I need to go back and and get my master. Um, and um, and then um, that's when um, the orcs find him. The, the orcs find him, but yeah. but uh, there's, there, uh, Sam has a confrontation with the spider. Yes. Um, where like to me, it's one of the most scary parts of the book. Like just f- absolutely frightening. Uh, uh, Frodo has been uh, attacked and and um, you know has been uh, has venom in him, and and Sam uh, is there to, to by himself to fight the spider, sure. this huge uh, spider, and with with his sword and with the vial of Galadriel. Right. Yeah. He he fights and he wounds the spider like like the spider had not been wounded in in long long time or whatever. So yeah, it's just it's this really epic uh, a moment for Sam. It's like one of the the most courageous moments for Sam that I just it's it's incredible to me. Yeah, and and again he's the protagonist. He's the one who's changed over this. Um, and that inner monologue of should I go back or I mean just him deciding to carry on with the mission is it's heartbreaking yeah but he decides he needs to do it um, but he discovers that uh, the orcs have Frodo and mm, right he's not dead but he they also have him yeah and the and the the book kind of ends with Sam kicking himself for for assuming that Frodo was dead and as the reader I'm thinking to myself like no give yourself a little bit of a break here Sam yeah, like right, it, right. It, it's understandable what it is that you did um and then the the doors to the so he puts on the ring yeah Sam so Sam has taken the ring he goes to try to continue the mission he come, he's he realizes he made a mistake he goes back to to get Frodo and then he's got the ring on and they can hear the orcs the orcs have taken Frodo and they're running up and they're going to bring him to the tower into going into a mortar um, and but then Sam can hear them talking and that that to say that Frodo is actually not dead he's just uh, been he's been dabbed with some venom to, to make him sleep and that, that she loves going to kind of take her time eating him basically right yeah. and so then he he realizes that Frodo's taken he's up in the tower uh, and he's he's got to go try to get him and he gets you know gets stuck um, yeah 
as he's trying to go and, and the yeah. door the door slam on him and he, he he it's a moment of despair when he thinks he can't go any further at the end of book four right yeah yeah uh, Mike, you had a quote you wanted to throw at us. Yeah, yeah. So this comes from when uh, when Sam, still in the midst of thinking that uh, that Frodo is dead, uh, makes the decision between whether he's going to abandon the quest uh, or if he's going to take up the ring and he's going to continue along with the quest. So this is uh, this is after uh, thinking that Frodo has been killed by Shelob, and we get this quote, it says, But the answer came at once, and the council gave him companions, so that the errand should not fail. And you are the last of all the company. The errand must not fail. I wish I wasn't the last, he groaned. I wish old Gandalf was here, or somebody. Why am I left all alone to make up my mind? I'm sure to go wrong, and it's not, me, and it's not for me to be taking the ring, putting myself forward. But you haven't put yourself forward. You've been put forward. And as for, nothing, and, and as for not being the right and proper person, why, Mr. Frodo wasn't. And as you may say, nor Mr. Bilbo. They didn't choose themselves. Ah, well, I must make up my own mind. I will make it up, but I'll be sure to go wrong. That'd be the Sam Ganji uh, way all over. And then I'll skip down a little bit. It says, the war's begun, and more than likely, things are all going to the enemy's way already. No chance to go back with it and get advice or permission. No, it's sit here till they come and kill me over Master's body and gets it, or take it and go. He drew a deep breath. Then take it, it is. All right, so that's the that that's that moment that Sam is is kind of making that decision as to whether he's going to continue along with the quest, um, and he indeed does decide to take up that ring and and continue along into uh, into trying to destroy the ring. Uh, but what what I like about this quote is that it shows just how important that role of being Frodo's companion is. That word companion that comes up a couple of times, I think that is really interesting because that's like the highest compliment I think that you could give to Sam is to, sh is to, to say that he was a companion and then even more so than the person that's bearing the ring. I think that it shows just how selfless Sam is in being this companion that's, that's going along with Frodo all along. Uh, and I think that uh, in hindsight, in retrospect, now, Sam, we were, we were talking again before the podcast about how Sam is so often so hard on himself. Uh, definitely the hardest on himself, I think, than anybody else that would be in the fellowship. Um, but nevertheless, I think that he would be proud of himself kind of in retrospect in that, in that moment of seeing himself not only as an equal of Frodo's, but that person that's willing to take up that ring and move on with that quest and fulfill that quest after he supposedly, or as, as far as Sam is thinking, is, is dead and gone. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing here because uh, I think he overhears the orc saying that the spider Shelob only eats live meat. So he's like, oh, wait, Frodo was alive. Uh, but he's really kind of our Catholic guilt guy here. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he vacillates back and forth. He feels guilty about every decision. It weighs on him. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, especially compared to um, Fellowship, where, you know, they don't even get a chance to mourn, really, uh, oh, for yeah. Gandalf. Mm -hmm. They're forced to move. And here he gets a sense of introspection, which is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, um, we have this fight against a monster. Um, and again, I don't know if you want to tie it to Beowulf, uh, but we have a mother who destroys her own child, like children, right? She consumes her offspring, but she's wordless, effectively. Yeah, um, yeah. for once, I'm not the one making the Beowulf reference. Right. This is yeah. awesome. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, when defeated... 
you know, Sam has this moment of complete introspection. He's mm-hmm. right. he's he's made a mistake, uh, which is interesting. And, and I would t- like also I, like I, one thing I love about the books is um, there's there's these critical points at which different characters have to make decisions and act on those decisions, and they really are a, a moment of uncertainty. But they must move forward and make a decision. Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, this is just perfect. This is like one of Sam's big moments where he. You know, he, he, he chooses to act and, and is trying to do the right thing, but he's uncertain about what that is. So I think it's wonderful. Well, and we have it under this eye of Sauron, right? And, you know, obviously in the movies it's much more explicit as this incredible graphic fiery eye. But it's made very clear here that whatever happens, it seems like the bad guys are one step ahead. And so this moment of vacillation mm-hmm. is at great cost to the mission. And Sam realizes it, but he needs to gather himself for a moment. Right. And it's 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 in some ways I think you know Sam is the, the 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 true protagonist. We talked about this earlier, but he's the one who has to make the changes. His character evolves over time, right. while Frodo gets weaker and weaker, mm-hmm. uh, which it, is interesting. It seems like though, like he what he's wrestling with is he knows his mission is to be by Frodo's side, and and to to be there, and so that's that's where he's struggling. Like he's saying, you know, Frodo's no longer here, so I must go on, but. In the end, he's like, no, my place is with Frodo no matter what. And so, and so it's, it's just interesting. You know, he, he's trying to figure out who he is and what his purpose is and what his place is within the fellowship. Yeah, and that's so cool within the context of that quote as well, too, yeah. because you can see that, he's, that he values that role of the companion so much. And yet it almost might seem as though the mission at large, and that's what he's wrestling yeah, with, right? right. Is, is, right. is the mission at large to destroy this ring, is that more important than his role as Frodo's companion? And it almost turns out that, that it's not more important, right? right. It, it, it's, right. it's so important that, right. Fro, that, that Sam be the person that stands with Frodo. With Frodo. So much so that to continue along with this, with this quest and to leave Frodo there actually ends up being a mistake against all odds. But, but him not being there when Frodo gets captured and if they had been there together and got captured, right. Right, it's yeah. all over, right? right? But because he's not there, because he, he leaves with the ring mm-hmm. and then he decides to come back. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah so, I guess yeah. it's a kind of a better lucky than good type of a situation. Right. Right. Is he the only other person who comes in contact with the ring that doesn't seem to be affected by it? Other yes. than Tom Bombadil? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's just correct. so interesting. Right, right. Yeah. Because um, he even puts it, like, literally puts it on, goes invisible, and it doesn't seem to affect him in any way. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, so we're kind of to the end of the, the, the books here, but I was curious how, I mean, you earlier said that this is now your favorite one of these. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I definitely think just with the kind of the, the way that the narration splits with the two towers, I think that it, uh, in, in reviewing for the podcast and, and having gone through the text again, I think that it, I think that it might be my favorite out of the, mm. out of the, out of the books. Oh, I'll, I'll do a tease for next season. Sure. <laughs> Book five is Return of the King. Yeah. The, is incredible. It is pretty spectacular. Epic. Epic battles. Um, it's, it's, that's my favorite. Yeah, Gondor. Book five is my favorite. Definitely yes. looms. Pelennor Field. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I guess, that's Aragorn's book. Aragorn's book. Because, you know, he yep. comes into his own. But for me, otherwise, this is where all the characters really become the characters that we love. Yeah. Um, you know, like Frodo, separated on his own, has to become the ring bearer in the truest sense. Uh, we have Smeagol slash Gollum constantly 
uh, as kind of this, on one hand, advocate, on the other hand, this adversary. We have Sam. Like, even the relationships start to build up, you know? And to me, I even as far as um, the movies go and the books go, all the action is in the next book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one I appreciated much more going through it slowly because I can see much more kind of the strings pulling in different directions and how these characters interact. And um, especially the relationship of the wizards to each other and who is Sauron is kind of interesting mm-hmm. because we've been introduced to beings of incredible power but not really been able to see what they do mm-hmm. because the last time we saw Gandalf, he was dying. He he lost that one. Yeah. So him coming back in kind of this splendor is really interesting and uh, it's great. Yeah, I, I feel like all the all the pieces are on the chessboard and now it's like the... Now, now it's, it's the, the end game. Uh, yeah. Exactly, right. That's right, yeah. So, um, obviously, we want to leave next season spoiler-free because you've got to read along with us as we do Return of the King for uh, next fall and winter. But are there any passing thoughts you want to give us? Anyone? No. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we, I think we covered it pretty, pretty thoroughly. Um, so, you guys have probably seen that this month the, the scheduling got a little screwy, which is fine. It happens. We're doing this right as our first term is ending, so all of us are busy and kind of stressed out. Um, so November ended up being All Quiet on the Western Front and Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Uh, for December, we're going to kind of take it a little bit lighter uh, so we have a chance to catch back up and record. Uh, so we'll have a special episode on uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol with our resident Dick- Dickensian scholar, uh, Mark Craddock. Um, and then my plan is just to give you guys uh, a little bit of audio uh, for the rest of December, but otherwise only do the one story uh, for December, and we'll start fresh with two episodes a month in January. Awesome. Uh, so, Mike, do you have anything to plug? No, no. The uh, the the thank you for everybody that's following along the the professional Instagram account uh, again. Just another plug. It's Michael period C period Carol, um, and thank you for everybody that's following along, and thank you for. Uh, for everybody that's been listening, it's been it's been really cool to kind of follow along not just my professional journey as a writer, but also uh, kind of adding on top of that the the podcasting aspect. And everybody has been so kind and so supportive and uh, and so welcoming into in, into that uh, into that professional bookstagram and, and Instagram world. So thank you everybody, um, and keep listening. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Return of the King next season. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you're curious about all the podcasts we do at the moment, Maris Podcasting is supporting 53 podcasts. Um, go to marispodcasting.com and you can see all of it there. I will give a plug right now to our American Experiment. Uh, if you go to amex.substack.com, you can see the work. The kids are publishing this stuff, and I'm sharing it with the world. But you can find us on Spotify as well, where the kids retold chapters from Cotton Mather's book on the mm-hmm. wonders of the natural world, which hunting and such, and turned them into kind of creepy podcasts. Cool. Uh, so there's uh, about eight of those up there as well at this point. Uh, but otherwise, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for doing all that you do. Thanks for following us on Twitter, giving us reviews wherever you listen, following the Insta, of course. And otherwise, thanks, guys. Required Reading is a product of Maris Podcasting and Dude Letter Podcasting. It is hosted by Nick Hoffman and co-hosted by Mike Burns and Mike Carroll. It is edited and produced by Nick Hoffman. 
The theme is Sands by Davis Burns. The opinions expressed are opinions of the hosts and the guests, but not of Marist School. All rights reserved. Thanks.